Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. to listen to those bells, didn't we? <laughs> those are the wedding bells of the San Juan Capistrano Mission in Southern California, and I couldn't get my studio to turn them off. <laughs> so you uh, all must have wanted to really hear them tonight. <laughs> this is Marcy Ann, and I want to welcome you to my show. This is uh, October Finding Mr. Wright Month, and I'm doing a blip. I'm running um, a show on Finding Mr. Right every single month, a day this month. <clears throat> and tonight, um, last night I talked about, you know, is Mr. Right married? Already married? Or you find out he's married, and then what? So tonight I wanted to talk about the mistress. <clears throat> and um, why would we stay in a relationship with a married man? So if you listen to my show, uh, some of my other shows, you've heard me talk about a lot about a man I have known in the past who has had many, many, many affairs with many, many, many different women while he was married. And I guess maybe those of you who listened intuitively knew that I had been one of those women. And so since today, you know, this is an older old man now, and the wife of this man has now passed. And he's he's living today uh, with his caregiver, and he's no longer playing the field. So I feel like it's okay for me to tell the story. <laughs> okay, I was divorced in 1970. My oldest daughter went to live with her father, and then with the help of the, of, of a member of my church uh, that I moved in with, I got the other two kids raised and out on their own. <clears throat> My oldest son graduated from college and went to work for a local moving company, and today he's in charge of 6,518-wheelers, moving goods and services all across the United States. And my youngest daughter graduated from high school and was then married to a young man who had enlisted into the Navy, and he was sent to San Diego. And I just well remember that day when they loaded up their car in a small trailer and they took off for the West Coast from the middle of the United States. And that night, I had a dream. 
And I saw myself also driving out of the driveway and heading out into the unknown. Well, soon I got a word from my that my daughter was pregnant and going to have a baby. And <clears throat> when your baby's going to have a baby, you just have to be there. <laughs> so I made plans to go to San Diego for the birth of the baby. And when I flew into San Diego and I stepped out of that plane and put my feet on the ground in California, I just felt this huge taproot go out of me all the way down into what felt like the center of the earth. I mean, I felt a deep connection. And when it was time for me to leave and go back home, after being with my daughter and the new baby for a week, I felt like I was leaving my home and that I was just going somewhere for a visit. And when I got back home, the manager of the department where I worked called me into the office, and he said, "Uh, Marcy, while you were gone, we closed the company. (laughs) And I said, what? I mean, I've only been gone a week. (laughs) He said, yes, we know this was something that's been brewing for quite a while, and, and the decision to actually quit business was made while you were gone. Well, you know what? As I sat there in that chair, I knew I was moving to California. (laughs) And if you're going to move to a new place, it's very helpful to have somebody, you know, already there that you know who can help you get started. So, of course, with my daughter and her husband and the baby in San Diego, that was the most natural place in the world for me to go because that's where I had felt that deep, deep, deep connection with all there is. Well, the first week I was there, an ad ran in the San Diego newspaper, Ghost Rider, wanted for a high-profile couple. And I called and made an appointment with the agency who ran the ad. And um, long story short, uh, after a week of working in the office for the high-profile couple and doing a series of projects for them, I was hired at a very good salary. I'm not going to tell you who they are because they now live out of the public eye and they don't want to have attention drawn to to them. But while I worked for them, she was on the cover of Time magazine and they were known worldwide. Well, my job as ghostwriter was to provide a constant flow of approved materials to the media to develop book publicity and tours, to write biographies and inside book jackets for the books, and to maintain as much privacy for them that is possible. (laughs) Well, fortunately, the media wasn't as invasive as it is today. But I'll tell you, when she told me they wanted to have a fundraiser for one of the presidential candidates at their home, I said, how in the world do you expect me to keep that private? (laughs) We had it, but I'll tell you, we had private Secret Service personnel everywhere. Well, I rented a nice house with a pool and a gardener. I began living the California lifestyle. Let me tell you, what a difference from my life in the Midwest. I loved every minute of it, and I still do, and that's almost 30 years ago. My office was in a building in San Diego right on the ocean. My picture window looked out over the ocean. I went down to the ocean every day and had my lunch sitting in the park at the ocean's edge. 
and I began to desire to be out on the ocean. So I investigated ways to do this, and I found a single sailing club that went out every weekend. The members provided their own private sailboats, and as a member without a sailboat, I could sign up every weekend to go out on someone else's boat and take food. (laughs) So I started doing this every weekend. (laughs) Happily, I brought sandwiches and cookies and potato salads and chip dip and sailed all day. I mean, I almost went out every Saturday and Sunday. Now, you heard me say single sailing club, right? You had to be single to belong to it. The application said you must be single. And then at the bottom it says sign here that all information you have given here is true. And then it said all information kept confidential. I signed. Well, one gorgeous day, we're out sailing out beyond the limits of being able to even to see land. And I'm lounging on the deck up at the front of the boat. And suddenly, I feel the presence of someone lying on the deck next to me. And I opened my eyes and looked over at this person. And I saw the prettiest, light, golden brown curly hair I've ever seen both on his head and his chest. And he looked at me for a moment, and then he said, My God, I'm looking into my own eyes. And there was that moment, that moment of connection, a moment out of time and space when two souls hook up. I have since called it instantaneous recognition at the cellular level, and it's, why, and it's actually why I believe in reincarnation, because otherwise, how could there be recognition? I mean, how could we recognize someone if we hadn't met them before? But anyway, now that that deep, deep, deep connection that I had felt when I had stepped out of that plane and put my feet onto the ground in San Diego, I now felt in this person who was lying next to me on the deck. And we had the exact very same eyes, same shape, same color, same everything. It's like looking at your identical twin. Well, we just chatted for a while, you know, small talk. I don't ever tell who I worked for because it was all in my official capacity to maintain their privacy. I just said I was a writer, and I did a lot of media publicity for clients, you know, press releases and stuff. And he didn't tell a lot about himself either, just that he had lived in San Diego quite a while, and he loved San Diego. And I said, yes, I see, you know, why it's called America's Finest City. (laughs) He said he was retired, that he had retired when he was 32 years old. And he just maintained his investments and went sailing whenever he could. Well, I asked him how long he'd been a member of the single sailing club because I had never seen him before. And he said for about three years. And then he said, well, I'll see you. And he left. So I watched him leave, and he went over and sat down next to another lady. And I thought, oh, well, such is life. And I went back to enjoying my day out on the ocean. Well, when it came time to get off the boat, I noticed he was getting off with the other lady, holding hands. 
So I thought to myself, wow, what a cad. But that was warning bell number one. Well, two weeks later, I'm at home, and I hear the doorbell. I go to the door, open the door, and guess who is standing there? Yep, there he is with a rose in his hand. Hi, he says. Would you like to go to dinner? Well, incredulously, I asked, how in the world did you find me? See, I had thought that that information I'd given on my application to be a member of the sailing club was confidential. But I later found out that this man had ways of getting information, of getting his own way that are boundless. He is the most charming, the most cunning, the most endearing, the most flattering, and the most seducing person I have ever met in my life. And he had somehow begged, bartered, or stolen the information from someone and ended up standing, showing up at my door. And there we were, looking into our own eyes in each other. Well, one part of me felt excited and exhilarated, but another part of me felt exposed and betrayed. And number two and number three and number four warning bells were ringing loud and clear. So which part of me do you think I listened to? Do you know that it's in these moments of decision that lay out in front of us a road that we're going to take? Because every single one of us is a free will agent with the power of choice. And at every single one of these moments in our life, we really are given all the information we, d- we need to make the best choice. I already knew enough about this man to know that I shouldn't go any farther with this thing. He was with another woman when he came and spent time with me. I even wondered that day when I saw him getting off the boat with the other woman holding hands if she had seen him come and be with me for that time of chatting we had because it was thirty about 30 to 45 minutes of time. Because if I had been the girl with him that day, I think... I would have been furious with him. I sure wouldn't have been getting off the boat holding his hand. I would have been getting off the boat alone. Or would I? (laughs) Was this girl who was with him that day making a statement for all to see? Look here, everybody. He's holding my hand. This one is with me. So back off. Is that what I would have done? You know what? We really don't know what we'll do until we're actually faced with a situation. But now here I am, faced with a situation. There he stands, that cute face and those cute dimples and those, that gorgeous light golden brown curly hair and those beautiful blue eyes holding that rose, looking at me and inviting me to go to dinner. Well... You know what I did? I, with my own power, with my own ability to choose, chose to go to dinner. 
And from that moment on, for the next seven years, I lived a life of being the other woman, the mistress of the married man, who every day kept telling me he was going to get the divorce as soon as he got his ducks in a row. Now, of course, at that moment, I didn't know he was married. I mean, after all, I met him in a single sailing club where he said he had been a member for three years, and you had to sign a form that said you were telling the truth and that you were single. I mean, so I just assumed that he was single. And during those first nine months of me thinking he's single, I was invited over to his lovely home, and I met two of his kids who were living with him, and we cooked together and ate together, and I was beginning to feel like the most loved and adored person on earth and the luckiest person to be alive. Great job, plenty of money, living in California, and now I've met the most wonderful man that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Finally, things are beginning to be perfect. And then one day I had uh, I couldn't find my watch. I called him and I said, uh, "Did I leave my watch at your house?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "I'll I'll lay it out for you." So I went upstairs to the bedroom to get it, and there on the desk in the corner of the bedroom were some papers, which I just glanced at as I was looking for the watch, and I noticed that the papers were his tax returns. And then letters as big as a house came up off those pages, which said, Filing status, married. Well, I sat down. I was shocked. I had a million questions running through my mind. Married? Is he married? What about the kids? Wouldn't the kids say something? Where is the wife? What's going on here? And I waited, and I waited till he came home. And when he walked into the room, I walked up to him, and I looked into my own eyes and said, Are you married? And I held up the papers. He said, Let me explain. I said, What about the kids? He said, They know. They don't like it that I see other women. But they live here, and they keep quiet because there are certain advantages for them if they do. They don't tell their mother anything. I said, but she knows, right? She knows you see other women. He said, she has suspicions, but she doesn't have any real proof. She lives in Florida, and I live here. Well, how long has this been true? He said, a long time. And I said, why don't you get a divorce? And he said, because the lawyers will give her half of everything I have. And then they would take another half of what is left, and then I wouldn't have enough to live on. And I'm too old to go back to work. And it's better this way because the kids get what they need. Their mother would never be able to take care of them like I do. She knows nothing about investments and handling money. Well, why doesn't she come out here and live with you in California? He said, she doesn't like California. She's afraid of earthquakes. She would rather be in Florida with all her friends and her big Italian Catholic family. I said, well, then why don't you live with her in Florida? 
He said, I can't stand Florida. I love living in California. I, w- I could never go back. Well, that shut me up for a minute because he hit on some of my own truth. I, could, I can never go back either. I mean, I love, also love living in California. I just could never go back to humidity and rain and tornadoes and ice and snow and flies and mosquitoes. Well, I looked into my own eyes again, and I said, well, what is your purpose of seeing other women? And he said, I am looking for my true love, and when I find her, I will take the steps that are necessary for us to be together. You know, when I look back on all of this, I think it was a setup. I think he hid my watch, and then he put the papers out on the desk and then arranged not to be there so that I would find them, and he wouldn't, so that he wouldn't have to tell me but he wanted me to know. Because at this point, once he tells the truth about the situation, then he's off the hook as far as now being responsible for what happens to me. This was his MOD. And you know what? I now know it's why he doesn't reap what he sows beyond, you know, I've asked God about this all kinds, you know, over and over. Well, God, when does he ever reap what he sows? And I saw that once he tells the truth, then he's off the hook. Okay, here is another moment of decision for me. With my free will to choose the path I was going to walk. And for a second time, I'm being given the opportunity to make a decision I mean, no one had a gun to my head. I was a free moral agent with the power to choose what I was going to do from that moment on. And for me, for those wonderful few months, as I had thought I had finally found my true love, and perhaps maybe now all that was necessary for him to totally choose me as his true love, that would be all he could choose me as his true love, and then we would be together forever. But there was another another level of myself that said, this man is married. This man is not available. This man is off limits to you. This man represents that he has made vows to a woman to be married to her. And the right thing for you to do is to respect those vows, even if he doesn't. And you need to pack up your things and leave this place now and never see him again. But did I go with this higher level of wise information that was being given to me at that time? While the number five and number six warning bells are ringing, I looked into my own eyes and I thought to myself, maybe I can still have what I thought I had here. So I stayed, hoping against hope that we would eventually be together forever. But from that moment on, I never really felt like I was the one. I became just a very convenient friend with benefits for him because subliminally I was now challenged. I had to become his true love, and then we could be together forever. 
And so I definitely accelerated my importance in his life, going to his house all the time, not my own apartment, cooking and cleaning and doing laundry for him and the kids, of course, sleeping with him and then having to drive home late at night. And he began asking me to give him massages when I got home from work. You know, before I cooked the dinner, saying he'd been in a car accident a couple of years before and he still had a bad place in his back that acted up from time to time. And would I massage it for him? So I just became Miss America, boy, doing it all. Real workhorse of a woman, juggling all the balls in the hour, up in the air, working, working at my eight-hour-a-day full-time high-demand publicity job and taking care of him and the house and the kids and everything. His oldest daughter said to me one evening after dinner, she was helping me with the dishes, she said, Marcy, I really like you, but now that you know that my dad is married, I want to tell you I don't like what he does to my mom. I asked, So I asked her, I said, do you think your mom knows? And she said, I think every woman knows if her husband is cheating on her or not. My mom doesn't have any real proof, but I think she has to know there are other women. And I asked her why her Miller didn't come to California and live with her dad. I mean, I was of the old school that the wife went where the husband goes. And she said that she did come and live in California for a while, but she didn't like California women. She called them those skinny whores with their big boobs. And then she said we had an earthquake while she was here, and she was scared to death, and she just couldn't sleep from then on. And she just had to go back to Florida where she had friends and her big Italian family. So I asked her, I said, why doesn't your mother get a divorce? And she said, we are Catholic. She doesn't believe in divorce. The priest told her that my dad is her cross that she must bear. And then with a great sadness in her eyes, she said, Marcy, there have been many, many women. Well, what was the universe trying to tell me here? Get out, get out of this. So here was another time I could have made a decision to change the direction, to go a different direction, to make a new decision, to take my life on a better path. So why did I hang in there? Why could I not let go? What kept me trying? Well, you know how I've been discussing on all my shows pretty much since I've been on the air. I've been on the air four years now that we have concepts, belief systems that affect our decisions. And almost any time we need to make a decision, at any moment, at any time, in that moment, we have the highest level of wisdom available to us to make the best choice. But we also have belief systems in place that can cause us to make a lower level decision that's not in our highest and best good. And my I had a belief system that love was the strongest power there is, that love conquers all. I think I believed that I could just love him enough, and I would be the true love he has always looked for, and then we could be together. 
I just needed to love him more. I just needed to do more. I just needed to be more. And if I could just love him more and do more for him and be more wonderful to him, he would love me back. He did have a wonderful way of being present when we made love, and I did feel then, and only then, actually, that I was totally number one at that moment and that he wanted me and only me and that he loved me, and he would even say he loved me. But after making love, there was no feeling of togetherness or being united in all of our plans and purposes for being together, feeling like we were the two of us against the world. I felt totally outside of his life and just a handy person to be around. And then I learned about the times that he's always went and spent time with his wife. These were regular and sometimes extended times. And I never knew when one of these times was going to come up. He would have had it planned for months, but I'd find out about it the night before he was leaving the next morning. And I'd say, well, when will you be back? I'm not sure. I'll let you know. And then I'll find out the day he's flying back into San Diego. Hi, darling. Can you pick me up at the airport? It just was always like living, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And this was why he never asked us to live together, always making certain I had my own place, because this was his pattern of his life all along. He regularly went and spent time with his wife. And he always went for Christmas and New Year's Eve and Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. So when he would be away, I spent my time, in addition to my writing career, pursuing a career in television. I was involved with Community Access Television in San Diego, and (coughs) this was a a very active Community Access uh, Television station, had a lot of local people doing local shows. And there was a sign-up sheet at the station, so if you wanted to work on a show, you could sign up. Then I signed up, and soon I was chosen by a producer to help in the production of his show. I did the audio in the field and in the station and sometimes worked the camera, but mostly I was the floor director, you know, working with the guys on the board, giving the on-air talent their clues. And then another producer at the station met with me and asked if I would host one of her shows. And so I said, sure. And that show was called Women at Work. And as an on-air host, I interviewed women in interesting jobs. And the first person to be a fireman in the whole United States was in San Diego, the first woman. And I had that distinct honor to be the first person to interview her on my show before she began to make the rounds on the bigger television uh, stations. And from there I went on to produce my own show, which I called uh, What's Next, and I still have copies of all those shows. Um, I was the first person to actually film talking while driving a car, you know, like they do on all the Storm Chaser shows today. And I actually filmed going inside of a hot air balloon, and I've never seen anybody do that yet. I was an engaging, uh, interesting host, and I believed I was going to make it in the big time. And I finally got a chance to show my stuff to the program director at Channel 9 in Los Angeles, and he offered me the chance to do the news. (laughs) Now, here was another moment in my my life where we... uh, (laughs) 
have a chance to decide, right? And I said, no. <laughs> but you know what? I, I said, well, if I could do the good news and have one or two minutes every evening to give some good news that, you know, I was a journalist, I'll go out and get the story and make one minute of good news. And he stopped me right there and said, good news doesn't sell, lady. And he walked out of the room and slammed the door. But I still had hopes of making it because he did offer me the news job. Although today I have no regrets of saying no to doing the news because I never could be the one that has to tell all that horrible stuff today that those news people have to tell. But the thing is, when I met this married man, I began to put most of my energy into becoming his true love so that I could live happily ever after in love and marriage. And my interest in continuing to try to make it in television began to wane. And then after I gave up on the relationship, I was angry for a long time that I had given up my chance at the big time in television to devote myself to this loser. And I blamed him for me not being the next Oprah when it had nothing to do with him. I made the choice to quit trying to make it. And just this past year, I had another chance to again be a part of a show for seniors that was going to be syndicated down across the country. And right at the very beginning, I ran right into a buzzsaw with the producer of that show, and I learned that the other woman on the show was using her womanly wiles to seduce him and get him to star her and not let me have the special spot I was supposed to have And I realized I just could have never made it in the big time, that I don't have that grit, the defiance, the ability to confront and stand my ground that it takes to make it in television. I mean, the competition and the dog-eat-dog fights between the women trying to make it in the entertainments today, even today, are still brutal. I mean, she left me trampled on the ground in rags and tatters in a trash heap like I'd been run over by a freight train. So actually, at this stage, I mean, I can see that I wasn't supposed to be on that treadmill and that actually I was protected um, from it. And it was the right decision for me. But why did I keep hanging on to this dream of loving and being loved and thinking that it would come true through this married man? I mean, was it the bird in the hand is more sure than the bird in the bush? What kept me being satisfied with the dregs, with always being last, of never being on his list? I mean, he made a list every day of what he had to do that day, a habit from when he was in business, which he kept on in his retired life. But I always felt like I was never on the list. I mean, maybe if he got everything done on the list for that day, then then we could maybe do something together. The kids were always on the list. Anything they needed or wanted was always taken care of immediately and usually with great enthusiasm and abundance. And I would watch this way that he cared for his kids. And as I've been cleaning up and healing up all of the wounds and the scars from my past, I have now realized what it was that I was really clinging to. I was longing for that father's love that I saw he had for his kids. My father had left me while I was still in my mother's womb, 
and my mother told me that he left her because he didn't want me. It was the only way she could deal with the rejection herself was to make it me and not her. And although she married again and had three more children, and I had a stepfather, I never felt any connection with the stepfather. I always knew I was the adopted one. I never felt love from a father or from any man in my childhood. My only experience was when I was 16 and I worked part-time for a dentist after school, developing x-rays and answering the phone. He was a member of the church we went to, and this provided me with some extra money, but he would sneak into the x-ray lab because he knew that once I started to develop the x-rays, the door couldn't be open for five minutes, and he would just come in there and feel me up and kiss me while I was waiting for the x-rays to develop, and I I would feel trapped because I didn't want to ruin the x-rays. So I finally just developed a plan to only develop x-rays when I knew he was with a patient. You know, he was a Christian. I mean, so much for the power of his Christian principles. And being very tall, I was taller than all the boys in high school. I never had a boyfriend or went to the prom or on dates. So I had ever never had any type of relationship with any man during my first 18 years that was loving or caring in any way that represented the type of care and protection and safety and provision that a woman likes to feel from a male person. And then when I went to college, my mother told me I had one year to find a husband because I couldn't come back home. So I set out to find a husband, determined to find a man who would marry me and take care of me and give me a home. And I chose my husband because he was going to go to law school, so I... Went to work to help support us while he finished law school, and I thought he'd make a lot of money and I'd have a good life. So even when it came time for me to be married, my choice was just still from the survival level. I chose safety and provision without ever even considering if I loved or if I was being loved. My husband had just been in a torrid love affair with a southern Indiana farm girl, which his parents had broken up because they said she wasn't the type of girl who would make a good wife for a successful attorney. So he was in rebound. I was pretty and available. So we hooked up, and I was married by the end of that school year, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I have to see that, say that there had to be something somewhere that made sure we hooked up and used our combined genetic materials to make our three absolutely unbelievable children who are outstanding examples of fully developed adults, self-sufficient and responsible members of society, providing answers to problems in their chosen fields of endeavor and living happy and productive lives. So beyond the true love dream about my relationship with the married man, At a deeper level, I was wanting to feel that father's love that I saw he had for his children. I saw how much of his life was spent in making sure they had everything that they needed, that they had every opportunity to try whatever it was they wanted to try and do what they really wanted to do. But really, if I had looked at this more realistically, his overindulgence for his kids actually was part of his overall strategy to keep him quiet so he could continue doing what he was doing. And it worked. 
They never had to pay rent. He provided them with a car and gas. The older girl did work part-time to have her own spending money. And the boy was on Social Security disability, so he had money too. But the two of them were sort of like little children still, you know, just playing and having fun, even though they both were over 21 years old. And there also was a third daughter who still lived with the mother, and she was going to school, this school and that school, you know, haircutting school, cooking school, real estate school, who knew what she was going to try next. But she did seem to be the one that my married man had the most hope for of being successful. Well, when it seemed like things were progressing toward the two of us finally may be able to be together, the married man said, Let's go and check out the Caribbean and see if it's the place where we want to spend the rest of our lives together. He said he had things already, and he thought he might be able to get a divorce in the Caribbean without it costing him everything that he had. And he said he would go on ahead and for me to fly into Miami in a month. Oh, I was so excited. I began making arrangements to spend the rest of my life in the Caribbean. It was finally happening. I was no longer working for the high-profile couple, but I had opened my own writing office where I continued writing publicity materials and ghostwriting books for people, developing sales and marketing uh, brochures for customers, doing resumes, letters, anything a client might need to have written. And I worked with a national company who rented me the office and ran the ads in the yellow pages, and we split the money 50-50. And while I worked for them, I always was in the top 25 offices in the U.S. for sales. And also, while I was with them, I experienced making $1,000 in a week for the very first time. Well, I called them and quit my job and turned in the keys to my writing office. I sold my car and turned the keys to the car over to the new owner. And I told the place where I was renting that I was leaving and gave them the keys to the door. And there I was. No keys to anything. Foot loose and fancy fray, heading to Miami to be with my true love to live the rest of my life in the Caribbean. Everything I owned that I still wanted, I had packed in two suitcases, and I gave everything else away. The man I sold the car to drove me to the airport, and I flew to Miami. And the married man was there waiting for me, and we went to get on the plane to go to St. John's in the Virgin Islands. And when I got the boarding pass, I noticed it was a round-trip ticket. The return date was in one week. I said to him, I thought we were going for the rest of our lives. What what are these round-trip tickets? He says, well, we're going going there to find out all the information while we're there. And then we'll come back and we'll get things ready to go. I said, wait a minute. I quit my job. I sold my car. I gave up my place to live. He said, darling, I didn't tell you to do any of those things. Now let's go swim in the warm ocean. Well, we did get on the plane and go to St. John's for a week. But before I left that airport, I called the company I had worked for as a writer and got my job back. I called the lady I rented from and got my house and my stuff back. 
And when I flew back to San Diego, I had the taxi take me to a car lot, and I bought a car. So much for going to the Caribbean to spend the rest of my life with my true love. Now, any sane person would have finally given up, wouldn't they? Someone in their right mind would have finally turned their back on this whole thing, judged it a total and complete failure, only lies, deceptions, deceits, torments, pain, and suffering. But I wasn't in my right mind. I couldn't have been. I was stunned. I was in a state of non-existence while still going around looking like I was okay. I went to my office every day, and I could still sell anybody just about anything. I continued with my original intention that when I opened that office every morning, if someone came inside the door, I would sell them something. And somehow I, in my stunned non-self on on the plane flying back to San Diego, I noticed in a magazine an ad that said they offered a home study course of all of the religions and metaphysical literatures in the world. And after you finished the course, you would get a Bachelor of Metaphysical Sciences and an ordination as a metaphysical minister. Well, this sounded to me like it would give me some credibility. It sounded really far out to me, and it was far out enough that it reached me where I was. So I tore the ad out of the magazine, and I wrote in for the course. You know what is so wonderful about this? that even in the depths of a horrible situation. I mean, I think about that verse in the Bible where David in the Psalms said, I descended into hell, and thou art there. I mean, even in the depths of my despair, God in me was there, giving me yet another chance. And I want you to remember And if you don't remember anything else, no matter what is happening, there's a doorway out of the situation. There's always a door open to a different room, a different set of circumstances, a different choice. Always. This time, even almost walking as a dead person, I walked through that open door And I signed up to take that course. It was a two-year home study course, and every week I got a new lesson. And I threw myself into these studies. I found them fascinating. They captured all my attentions, and my energies were redirected into doing these lessons and going to the library and looking up stuff to substantiate all the information the school was teaching me. And everything added up. Historical research validated the information, and I began to really look forward to every single new lesson, and the weeks began to speed by, and I could feel myself coming alive again to be able to breathe and to reconnect, and things began to be better. And let me tell you, who knew that when I moved to Orange County 20 years ago that that ordination 
would be that piece of paper that I had that made me legal to marry people. (laughs) And I started my beach wedding business that has been so tremendously successful. Well, sometime during all this, uh, I got a telephone call, and you know who it is, of course. Oh, yes. Hi, darling. I'm back in San Diego, and I have some wonderful new news. I'm getting all my ducks in a row. Could we go to dinner and let me get you caught up? (laughs) You've got to be kidding, of course. The last time you had your ducks in a row, I ended up without a job, without a home, without a car. And he said, sweetheart, I never told you to do all those things. I only said we would go to the Caribbean and look into living there for the rest of our lives. Didn't we have a wonderful time? Remember how wonderful it was to swim in the warm ocean? He could always say just what needed to be said, how to say it to hit you right in the cause of the center of the cause and core of your needs and desires. And now I know that I know that I know that as long as any of us have these needs and desires that are not fulfilled, And we think that these needs and desires are going to be fulfilled by someone else outside of ourselves. We will be vulnerable to these leeches who get their kicks in life from manipulating us and using and abusing us to fulfill their own hateful, perverted minds. But there is another side to it because they do have hearts as well, and that perhaps have also been hurt and devastated. And they're living their lives out of vengeance for the wrong that's been done to them. And their hell becomes our hell. Well, did I see him? Please don't turn off the radio because, yes, I did see him. But this time now, I'm in my iron cage. I feel protected against his cunnings and seducings. And I decided I would see him out of curiosity to see what fantastic story he had invented this time. I mean, you know what, just for the fun of it, just as a diversion from my day-to-day life of writing and reading and studying. And yes, I was still going sailing at the single sailing club where I no longer tried any personal relationship with anybody but just enjoyed sailing out on the ocean, the cold ocean, But I was really, really happy with my cold ocean because I now knew a little bit about the price you had to pay to swim in the warm ocean. Well, he said his wife was considering the possibility of a divorce while letting him still keep all of the money and handle all of the investments so that all of them would still have the comfortable lifestyle they were all accustomed to. And the uh, two kids had gone back to living with their mother and he was supplying them all with plenty of money to keep them all happy. So he was going to sell his house in San Diego, go back to Florida for a while to buy an income-producing property where his family would also live, and then he had everything, and then he would be able to um, get the divorce, and he would have, and when he had everything all set up, he would let me know. Well, one part of me felt total relief because at last he was going to leave and get out of my life totally. But another part of me felt a faint hope that perhaps maybe after all 
we would finally be able to be together. Well, stupid me, as it happened, all he was looking for was someone to help him get his house ready to sell. (laughs) So on the weekends, we painted and fixed stuff, and in the evenings, we'd get a pizza and watch a movie in bed, one of my most favorite things to do. You know, there's kind of a comfort in the familiar doing those things that give you a remembrance of times of the past when everything was wonderful, being able to feel those few moments again and make believe that everything is still wonderful, just small, tiny fragments of moments of happiness. Well, the house did sell, and he sold all the stuff in the house, too, and he loved to join his family in Florida. So there was now emptiness and aloneness and loneliness haunting loneliness almost unbearable loneliness and I crouched down in the corner of my iron cage and I could barely stay alive the walking dead a zombie Well, about six months later, I got a call. Hello, darling. How are you? Everything's set. We can now go and swim in the warm ocean. Can you meet me in Miami? Well, time's a charm. (laughs) I packed up everything and headed for Miami. This time I did drive my own car. Because something inside of me, I mean that tiny little God spark that was still alive and well, said, drive your car. And somehow I heard it, and I did. And he'd given me an address where to meet him, but it turned out to be a hotel in Sarasota, not Miami. So I said, well, why Sarasota? He said, oh, it's just the best place to meet. And we were there several days, and I'm wondering why we're still there and why we aren't getting on our way to the Caribbean. And then one night he packed up all his things and said he was going to be gone for a while, but he'd be back. And he left. He was going to leave. So I, I snuck out and followed him. Well, he went to this very nice home and went in. And I got out of my car and went and peeked in the windows, and I saw her. Must be the wife. He went up to her and took her in his arms and kissed her. She's tall like me. She's also pretty. And she's all dressed up, ready to go someplace. So they come out. I ran and hid in the bushes. And they get in the car and drive away. Well, quickly I get into my car and I followed them. And they went to the yacht club at the harbor. And they went in. So I went and peeked in the window And I could see them dancing together. And he's holding her very close and romantic, dancing all around the room. Well, I just lost it. And I went storming into that yacht club. I went over to them on the dance floor, and I said, right now, you choose. It's either her or me. Well, she went bananas and started screaming to everybody in the yacht club, this is the California whore who's trying to break up my home. And then she lurched toward me and tried to grab my throat. But instead, she caught the top of my dress and ripped it right off of me, leaving me standing there in front of everybody in the place, nearly naked. And one of the men came over and said to the married man, hey, you need to get your wife under control. 
And to me, he said, get out of here now. Oh, I drove my car. I went back to the motel. I packed up everything, got in my car, and drove straight to Indiana, 17 hours in the car, straight through to my sister's house. And from there the next day, I drove up to my oldest daughter's house to get back into some kind of control. And I stayed there with her for the next six months until the first snowstorm of two feet of lake effect snow, and I knew I had to get back to California. And that's another story for another time. But yes, I held on for far too long. And yes, I do believe he also saw other women. Because if he would come and lay on the deck with me for 30 to 45 minutes on a sailboat while he's actually on a date with another woman and leave the boat holding hands with her, he would see other women while he was with me. And although, like his wife, I never had proof, I think he did. But I want to discuss another aspect of this. Because while we are here in the flesh giving God a human experience, There is always a hierarchy of spiritual watchers that are keeping track of everything in our life. Every decision that we make, and even when we make a decision that's not in our highest and best good, there will be some aspect of that experience that can be used later on. We are never on a path of complete and total destruction. Never! It can look like we are, But that is not the total truth because we give God form and God is involved inside of us in everything that is happening to us as a result of all the decisions we make. That God spark is still alive and is still giving out the highest and best wisdom for our highest and best good at all times. And now I have had a full look at all of the dynamics that were in play at that time I was trying to fill the hole of no father's love in my life. I was trying to be more than I could be in order to try to qualify to be a married man's true love. I didn't listen to the inner wisdoms who were giving me the information I needed every single minute to make better choices for myself. I made choices that only brought me continual unfulfillment and pain and suffering. I did finally give up on the relationship. I packed up all my stuff, and I left San Diego. I moved up here to Orange County, and I took my piece of paper that said I was an ordained minister to the county clerk of Orange County, and I asked if I was legal to marry people, and he said yes, and I started my business. I discussed how I got my business started on another show that's called Get a Job or Start a Business. It's in the archives. You can listen to it there. Who knew that several years later I would be able to use that ordination that I got while I was in the darkest part of my of my of this relationship. But I used it to start my wedding business, which has allowed me to become the independent and self sufficient that I am today. Because I quit looking outside of myself to get my basic and primordial needs and desires met. And I found that I could take care of myself. And now I am strong enough to be able to go into my heart 
and clean out all of this old junk and release out the pain and suffering of the past so that I can allow my heart to expand now and be able to feel what has been there all along, the unconditional love I need, and the purest and truest wisdoms for my life. I'm still breathing. I'm not dead yet. And now I'm able to set some new intentions for my life. Tomorrow night I'm going to be uh, Mistress Part 2, and I'm going to go into the dynamic that I believe was um, at the root of this married man's um, lifestyle. And you're probably not going to believe this, but... He found out where I'd gone when I left San Diego and that I had moved up here to Orange County. I don't know how he got got the information. He got my address, moved up here, bought a house right here in the very same retirement community where I live. <laughs> and I have watched him go through a whole series of other women while he's been here, all of whom he has told he is looking for his true love. And I've watched all of them go to the extremes of taking care of him, trying to become the true love so that they can live happily ever after, but eventually having to abandon the situation. I mean, one of them lived with him for five years. And while she lived with him, she paid him rent. She did all the shopping, cooking, cleaning, laundry, having sex, until she finally realized Nothing was ever going to change, and she left. She keeps in touch with me. She says, I should have listened to you, Marcy, but you know what? She still hasn't found what she's looking for either. And he just called me yesterday to tell me that another one of his other women just died. I had met her, and she was, he was actually crying, and I knew that he was uh, – really feeling the loss sincerely. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry because she really was good to you. And he said, yeah. So he has lived a life of romance, of loving and being loved with many, many, many different women, a life of excitement, never boring, a life of manipulating and managing people for his own entertainment. And even today, now that his wife has died, and he is an old man. He is living comfortably and happy with a delightfully, a delightful young caregiver who also shares his bed. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening because I'm, I'm hopeful that there is something in, in my experience to find love that is going to help you to be able to find true love and to be loved sooner than I uh, have been. And I'm going to keep ringing those wedding bells all this month just for you. I'm going to see if my studio will play them. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.